Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You alone are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, we are going to do something a little bit unique and look at the assigned psalm that we have this morning, Psalm 67. Uh, This is a fairly short psalm that has been remarkably prominent um, in the history of worship, both in the Christian church and even before that um, in Judaism. This featured prominently in Jewish worship and liturgies. Uh, Most would say that its structure has this back and forth uh, form built in. And it was probably used in a remarkably participatory way right after the harvest in ancient Israel. Uh, Starting in probably the 6th century, uh, there was a church leader named St. Benedict. Maybe you've heard of uh, the rule of St. Benedict. He was the father of what we would call the monastic movement. All these people who would go into monasteries and saw that their work was to be the work of prayer. There was a wholehearted devotion unto the Lord, Uh, he grabbed this psalm, Psalm 67, and he said, we're going to use this every week. We're going to use it every Sunday as the first psalm we recite in the morning uh, before Sunday worship. And in our own Anglican tradition, we kind of grab that, and you'll hear pieces of this psalm uh, scattered all throughout the daily office through morning prayer and the verses and responses um, the first, when I read it this week, I was like, man, I feel like I know this whole thing, and yet I've never looked at it. It feels almost generic. Um, and it's this kind of, if you were to, you know, go to chat GPT and say, give me a psalm, um, this seems like what you might get. It's, it's that much of uh, the true themes of all of the Psalter, all 150 psalms. In fact, if you look in the prayer book, we have a, a section called Supplemental Canticles, Um, And it's basically 10 songs from the scriptures that our tradition said, hey, pray these regularly. Sing these all the time. Let these shape and fill uh, your imagination. And this is one of those 10 psalms. What's remarkable about it, we're going to walk through it, is that this little psalm uh, connects worship and mission. It actually provides a, a bridge for us, connective tissue uh, for Sunday and the rest of our lives, Monday uh, through Saturday. And so uh, before we dig into the psalm, I want to come at this from a little different angle and talk about something that happens in our worship services. It actually happens at the very end of our service. And I think if we're honest, for some of us, it's, it's probably an afterthought, And so I want to actually highlight it today so that every week when we do this, um, you're mindful of what we're doing, what we're saying, what's happening in our worship service. And what I'm talking about is the dismissal. The very end of the service, um, you know, we've had a a long service. We've, We've retraced the story of the gospel. We've encountered the living God. We've had, uh, been fed from his word, fed from his table. We pray. And then there's a priestly benediction, there's a last song, and then is the dismissal. Um, One of our deacons uh, will come here right at the door, because it's supposed to be, hey, here's your reminder as you leave, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, and everyone says with joy and praise, thanks be to God. 
Some of them are like, finally it's over. <laughs> but I want you to actually each week uh, be mindful of what is happening in that moment. Because what's happening is everyone who has uh, been here in worship is signing up to love and serve the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength until we meet again next Sunday. And here's the idea. Again, that comes after we have been uh, in the Lord's presence. We've been nourished by him. We've been blessed by him. We hear a benediction or receive the blessing of God. And what my takeaway from this psalm is that the benediction, the presence, the very blessing of God um, isn't the end of the story, but it actually proceeds and leads us into mission. It leads us into the rest of our lives. And we're actually going to see that the blessing of God is just verse 1 in this psalm, and then everything else uh, comes after it. So let's look at this together. Psalm uh, 67. Um, if you read it through, this is a prayer for God's mercy, his blessing, his light. Um, and it's, it's a prayer not just for one person. Um, there's lots of places in the Psalms where we pray for the Lord's grace. And we pray for his mercy, mindful of our own sin. Um, Psalm 51 is a clear example of that. Where we go, man, I have sinned. Lord, would you have mercy upon me? This is different. This is the community. And they're praying for God's blessing to be poured out on their community. And so it says, may God be merciful, uh, not to me, but unto us. And bless us. And show us the light of his countenance. And be merciful unto us. Think about what they are praying there. May God be merciful, bless, show us the light of his countenance, and be merciful. Um, this actually echoes um, an incredible passage in Numbers chapter 6. In Numbers chapter 6, uh, the Lord is giving instructions to Moses and Aaron. And he says, this is the benediction, this is the blessing that my high priest Aaron should announce to the people so that they know that I am their Lord. Here's what it says. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Most would say in Hebrew, that's translated as God smiles. <laughs> He's delighted in you. He takes pleasure in you. He pours out blessing and peace onto your life. And so this psalm grabs that. It claims it. Lord, would you do what you said you will and pour out your light and blessing and peace upon us. Numbers uh, chapter 6. And again, what I was just struck by as I looked at this is in, in many places in the Scripture, um, the benediction of God, the blessing of God, Him delighting and smiling over us, rightly is, is isolated. It's self-contained. It's, hey, you've done nothing to deserve this, and God in his favor uh, smiles upon you and pours out his grace and mercy. Rest in that. But here, uniquely, <laughs> we're told that God's blessing and grace and mercy and favor comes not just as an end, 
but as a means. It's supposed to lead to something. And so in verse 2, what you see is, let your way be known upon earth, your saving health among all nations. That's in our uh, BCP translation. This is a translation made uh, for public worship, and the cadence is, uh, is mindful of that. If you look at the ESV Bible that we usually use, it says, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. That little Hebrew word behind that is, in order that. It's very odd that you would see in the scriptures, Lord, would you delight in us in order that? Usually that's the end of the story. Here it's the beginning. That the Lord delights in us in order that something would happen. In order that something would occur. And says, let your way be known upon earth and your saving health among all nations. In other words, the Lord delights on a people delights in a people so that his way would be known on the earth, so that his salvation and truth would go out into the nations. And most would say that this passage echoes the very promises of God to Abraham in Genesis 12. Remember what God called Abraham? He said, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing He goes on to say that in you or through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so the psalmist, he knows that these are in the back of their minds. They know the promise to Abraham verbatim. They've heard this blessing time and time again. And the psalmist says, let's connect those together. Let's splice them and see how this works that God will pour out his blessing abundantly on a people to fulfill this promise to Abraham of blessing the nations. Um, the, the wonderful cliche that I love is, uh, you are blessed to be a blessing. That's what this is teaching here. We're not just blessed uh, on our own, but we're blessed in order to be a blessing. Um, and you really do see that throughout the scripture. That God does bless people Uh, to then bless others. He he delights to use those whom he has shown his favor and grace uh, to bring others in. And for me, that tells us something really important about worship. Because when we encounter, when we come to worship, uh, it's, it's a place of benediction and blessing and light. We receive the peace of God. And what this tells me is that we receive that in order to do something with it. We don't just come um, to, to get our like happiness tank filled up. Um, I actually used to think that in college, <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, that you went, and, and there, it's true, we would just delight in the Lord, and it would feel great, and I would feel, okay, I'm uplifted. Um, I've been encouraged. My happiness meter is full um, until I do this or do that and need to refill it. This is a little more mature version of that where you would say that we're not just here to feel good or to fill our happiness tanks. I mean, that happens. We aren't here to be entertained. Um, We're not even here primarily just to learn something. It's not a classroom. Um, It's a sanctuary where we meet with the Holy One, Almighty God. And we're here Uh, to relive and retrace the entire story of the gospel, to encounter the Lord. 
in light of his holiness to confess our sins and then receive and be reminded of the promise of his absolution. To be nourished at this word and this table because we need it regularly. But then to be sent out on mission. Let us go forth to love and serve the Lord. Uh, thanks be to God. Um, and I would just say, and again, we're kind of at the start of a school year, that if we come together and our worship is, is fantastic, and we are edified and we enjoy it, and the music is great and the preaching is decent and the word, the Lord always meets us at his table. But if we don't take that and then go out to love and serve the Lord, we have truncated the process. I would actually say when you look in the scriptures, what often happens um, is that if we don't take that and do what we're supposed to with it, there's something where it almost spoils and rots within us. Um, there's actually a lesson, I don't have time to go into this fully, but when uh, God's people, Israel, are in the wilderness and God sends manna, the food, if you remember, he sends it every day. And he says, hey, don't try to store it up. If you try to collect it and hoard it and store it up, it's going to go rotten. It's there to be used and to be used regularly. Um, that's a principle we see. That when God pours out his blessing, he pours out his peace, his favor, he pours it out regularly. And if we try to just store it up and hoard it and don't share it, well, it just it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It kind of turns inward. And it's not good. It spoils a bit for us. And so if that's true, if we are, if you, if you buy that, that we are blessed to be a blessing, what does that mission look like that God is calling us into? I think that's the rest of this psalm. That's what this psalmist is after. That's why Benedict said, let's pray this every Sunday uh, before worship when we come together. Verse 2, again, let your way be known upon earth, your saving health among all nations. What would your way be? Well, God's way. <laughs> uh, we, we pray in the Lord's Prayer. May your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's that kind of thing where we're sharing the truth of who God is and what he's done. And then we're also, you're saving health. We're, we're doing the things. We're, we're, like God, we're letting the Lord work in and through us. There's this balance of word and deed, of sharing truth and doing justice like we heard in the Isaiah reading. We are looking for God's way. We are sharing God's way. We are seeing salvation and health among the nations. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's a high calling indeed. Uh, the Lord Jesus, he grabs this in the Great Commission, the end of Matthew's gospel. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Go and share God's way. Go and share Jesus' way. Go and share this truth in word and deed. And then look at verses 3 through 5. It's an, it's an interesting little sequence. Um, if you're paying attention, you'll notice what about verse 3 and 5? Do you see anything? Verse 3 and verse 5? They're the same. They're the same. And, and this is um, a way that in Hebrew poetry they highlight things. And so they've bracketed this to say, pay attention to what's in between. This, this is their way of underlining verse 4 by repeating 3 and 5. But look at 3 and 5. 
Let the peoples praise you, O God. Indeed, let all the peoples praise you. And then what they're actually highlighting in the middle, verse 4, O let the nations rejoice and be glad, for you shall judge the peoples righteously. Another translation, uh, you shall judge the peoples with equity and govern the nations upon the earth. A couple things here. One, I love that we see God's heart, uh, not just for Israel, but Israel and the nations uh, throughout the scriptures. You probably noticed that our, our other readings are picking up that theme and going, hey, this has been here the whole time. And now let's move into this mission together. Um, there's a universal praise of God by all the peoples of the earth that anticipate this day when the Lord will judge the peoples righteously and govern the nations upon the earth. Do you see the, the verb changed? <laughs> it's not looking back. It's, not pra- it's all future. You shall. The Lord shall do this. They're looking ahead uh, to what God himself will do and what God himself only can do. The great day when the Lord will return and make all things new, judge the peoples righteously with equity and put everything right. When we see things that are broken in the world, when we see things that are broken in ourselves, we say, Lord, would you come and make all things new? Would you come and put everything to right? And we trust that there's a promise that he will one day. Um, Alan Ross is a, is a Hebrew scholar. He's an Anglican uh, here in North America. He says, the verb here, you judge, does not simply refer to judgment in which God condemns the world. We sometimes hear judge and we think condemnation, right? He says, no, here it, it refers to God's administration of the world his wise decisions to direct the world. It could really be translated like we do here. You govern, you order, you you administrate the world with equity and righteousness. Equity just telling us that there's going to be absolute equality, that under the Lord's rule, all people are treated justly and equally. None are shown favoritism. None have privileges over others. His administration is perfectly just. And we benefit from it through our faith in the perfect, righteous one, the Lord Jesus, that's available to all. We're blessed to be a blessing. So let's uh, keep going just a little bit here. Because what's interesting is that those who receive the benediction, the blessing of God, they're formed into a community. What does it mean to be a community blessed by the Lord? A community that has received his light, his grace, his mercy, his salvation. What is God doing when he gathers a group of people for the sake of mission? And how is even just that community part of that mission? Because when I think about God's mission in the world, I think first we're called to share his truth. Secondly, we're called to do justice. And then maybe we don't think of this, but third, we're called to build community. To build the kind of community that God envisages as a foretaste of what will happen. We actually build community. And if you think about this community in the Psalms, what's being highlighted over and over again? What's being highlighted for me is the comprehensiveness of this community, all the nations, and even the diversity of that community, all the nations. It's comprehensive, it's diverse. Our other readings, they highlighted this as well. 
the prophet Isaiah, he talked about the salvation that is on hand for the foreigner and the eunuch and the outcast and the least likely and those farthest from God. The Lord delights to call and welcome home. We saw in Matthew's gospel this incredible encounter uh, with this Canaanite woman. Again, one who you would say, like, that's not typically the person who would come to Israel's Messiah. And the Lord delights in her approach and delights in her faith, and they have this great banter back and forth. What we heard in Romans is this interesting, it's a, it's a picture of a tree, and there's these natural branches, and there's these crazy wild olive branches that have been grafted in. And he goes, there's a tree with natural branches and wild branches, and all these branches flourish. There's another picture in the prophets, and they say there's this huge tree, and all the birds of the world come and nest in it. That's what God is up to. That's what it means to share the truth, do justice, and build uh, this kind of community. We see it throughout the New Testament, the comprehensiveness, the diversity that God imagines uh, for his people, for the church. It's remarkable. And the basic principle I think about, um, when I think about what, how would you see this in practice, would be that there are lots of things that divide people, aren't there? I mean, if you read in the scriptures, there is division everywhere. Division starts in the opening chapters of Genesis, when men and women are put at odds with one another. We see as we run through the scriptures, this division between Israel and the nations. We see natural divisions like that between uh, those who are slave and free, those who are rich and poor. You see divisions all over the place. And you see in the New Testament that each one of those divisions, well, the dividing wall of hostility that Ephesians talks about is broken down. All these groups who couldn't get along are joined together by Christ in this one new body, the church. The things which divided them in the world, the Lord delights to unite them in comprehensiveness and diversity within his community. And I think about in our day, there's so much division so many things that divide. We, we see the things kind of like in the scriptures, men and women, slave-free, Jew-Gentile. Um, I think of differences in our own day with race and nationality. Um, I actually think about like age. Like where else do you go and see old people and young people um, who, are, who are together? Um, think about just even like class and education level. I think about things like taste and style and politics, all these different things that divide us. Within the church, we should be moving towards that comprehensive, diverse unity. And what the scriptures would tell us is that that's part of God's mission. Because that community in and of itself proclaims something supernatural. Because people will look in and see people who are never together in the world. What in the world has brought them together? And it will only point to the Lord Jesus and what is, and it will glorify the Lord. 
when people who don't get along outside the church, don't get along in the world, are within this community seeking to listen and understand one another, to pray for one another, to learn from one another, to listen to one another. Uh, You see people who are constantly reconciling and forgiving one another, growing in unity, not in some kind of fake smiling at one another, but saying, hey, let's do the hard work. Let's let the Spirit form us and join us and unite us. That's a picture of a community that has been visited by this kind of blessing and peace and light and grace and mercy. It's an answer. I mentioned we started with the high priestly prayer of Aaron, the high priestly blessing of Aaron. There's another high priestly prayer in John 17. The Lord Jesus is praying to the Father and he prays for the unity of the church. He says that they would be one, united like you and I are one, Father. That's part of the mission, to share God's truth, to do the justice uh, that he imagines, and to build a community that glorifies him, to see that kind of unity. And I want to just bring your attention to an example I saw of this in the last week. This isn't just idealism. But last week, I saw a moment of the present church at her best. The present church exhibiting remarkable, loving, visible unity. See, I saw that they were going to be doing a memorial service for Tim Keller uh, in New York. Tim Keller had pastored Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan for years. He passed away this summer. Um, they did a, you know, a normal burial service for friends and family and things like that. This was going to be something different. A public memorial service. They said a worship service of praise to God uh, for the life of Tim Keller and how the Lord had used him in remarkable ways. Um, and they're going to live stream it. And so I, I put it on my calendar. Uh, some of you know, I've mentioned before, that uh, he actually had a huge impact uh, directing kind of my ministry and call to come here to Athens um, and to get, get St. Thomas started. Um, I have great respect for him. He's, you know, this is an age of scandal and dysfunction, sadly, in the church. And he's one of those leaders who, from what we can tell, finished well. Um, that, that's, that shouldn't be as rare as it is Uh, but it's worthy of respect. Um, The faith he displayed during a battle with terminal cancer was remarkable. And encouragement, you're like, okay, it's not just up in his head, he's living this out and trusting in the Lord even in the midst of uh, pain and suffering. He he was not perfect, he was not a saint, but he's someone who I've looked to to go, hey, how do I learn to just kind of do ministry that way? Uh, For me, like, hey, how do I learn to be a dad like that and be a husband like that and think about these things in this way? So um, I was like, man, if they are having a service, I'm going to check it out because they're live streaming it, and that's easy, right? So I turn on the live stream. This is Tuesday afternoon, and honestly, I was shocked because the camera comes on, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. (laughs) They're at St. Patrick's Cathedral. If you know anything about Presbyterians and Roman Catholics, (laughs) they don't play well together. 
Um, I actually knew this was August 15th. Like, <laughs> this is a, a day of obligation for Roman Catholics. And they've opened up St. Patrick's Cathedral for this service of this Presbyterian minister, Tim Keller. They start, and if you know uh, the, the Roman Catholic cardinal there, Cardinal Dolan, he comes out and he greeted uh, Kathy, Tim's uh, wife, his widow, and they're like totting around, saying hi to people, getting ready. Um, and he, he went up to the, uh, to the pulpit um, and he gave a welcome. And he said, friends, you're all very much at home here at St. Patrick's Cathedral. I hope you know that. And then he said, thanks, Mrs. Keller and family for inviting us to unite. To unite in grateful, reverent, faithful, prayerful memory for a man we love, admire, and miss already, Pastor Timothy Keller. And then uh, the service went on. It was actually one of Tim's sons, who's a pastor there um, at Redeemer still. It was this wonderful uh, quilt of uh, the hymns that they chose. You see the great hymns of the church. Uh, you saw hymns from the Reformation. Uh, they sang some of, um, some of Charles Wesley's greatest hits from the Methodist movement. They got up and they read a ton of scripture because um, he said at my service, you're going to sing a ton, you're going to read a ton of scripture. Um, they did readings from C.S. Lewis <laughs> because Tim was an apologist. So Max McLean, some of y'all know Max McLean. Um, he got up and delivered these monologues from uh, C.S. Lewis. And then uh, Sam Albury, who's an Anglican clergyman, he got up and gave this long, dense, rich, gospel-oriented sermon. And I'm looking at this going, oh my, th this is all the strengths of each of these traditions that operate independently right now. Man, look what happens when they come together. Look at how God is glorified when all these things are together. Uh, just the, the beauty of something like St. Patrick's Cathedral with this music and this preaching and all of it working. It was beautiful. Um, I, actually, I, I teared up um, because it was John 17 right in front of me. I pray that they would be one as I and you are one, prayed Jesus. And I just thought, what a beautiful picture of unity. And I was filled with, with great joy uh, seeing these parts of the church working together. And then I was also filled with great sadness because I was like, man, I've never seen this. This is so rare. We so segment into our different things. Um, I mean, actually, one of the reasons I'm an Anglican is because we do have a big roof that a lot of these things can come under. I can be friends with a lot of different people and traditions. Um, we can occupy an interesting, peaceful place in that way. But here's the other thing I thought about is those churches, Redeemer Presbyterian Church and St. Patrick's Cathedral, we're working together. And they didn't wait for a perfect structural unity. They hadn't signed an agreement, a memorandum of understanding of what this would uh, look like. They didn't wait to pursue Christian friendship and fellowship and relationship. 
It was clear Cardinal Dolan and Tim had been buddies, friends, co-laborers in the gospel, serving the Lord together. And it occurred to me that we don't have to wait either. We don't have to wait for unity to be perfect. We don't have to let perfect be um, the enemy of actual progress <laughs> and moving forward and moving towards it. And in fact, friends, you probably know this. It's not going to be perfect until the Lord comes. We're, we're not idealists. We're not utopians with this. We're waiting on the Lord, and we're doing things in the meantime that foreshadow what we know God will do in the future. In fact, anytime we're engaging the mission of God, if we're sharing the truth, if we're doing justice, if we're building community, it's not going to be perfect. We're doing it faithfully, knowing that God will do it fully and finally, and yearning for the day that he will. Um, and part of the reason it won't be perfect, just to be clear, is when we do this work, we're going to be frustrated by the ongoing sin we see in ourselves the sin we see in others, just the, the stacked difficulty of what St. Paul calls the principalities and powers of this world. It feels like you're just rolling a boulder uphill when you're trying to share the truth and do justice and build community. And so that does bring us to these last verses, verses six and seven. Because what six and seven show is that if God's benediction and blessing leads to mission, well, the harvest comes in the future when God acts. That's what's clear here. We see, see a great harvest. Then the, shall the earth bring forth her increase? And God, even our own God, shall give us his blessing. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the world shall fear him. It's actually pretty fun how this would work in ancient Israel. They've gathered their normal harvest, and they're, they're, they're really glad that God has provided for them, uh, their physical needs, their spiritual needs. And so as they give thanks for the temporary blessings of God, they yearn for his eternal harvest, the great work that he will finally do when he blesses them together. And so they worship him and they, they give him rightful honor and praise. It says here that eventually all the ends of the world shall fear him, shall revere him, shall worship the Lord. I mentioned Alan Ross. He says that the psalmist's view here is broader than a harvest in Israel. The psalmist takes the occasion to pray for God's future blessing so that all the people of the earth will know his saving way, will become worshipers as well. This means that they realize that God's blessings have a purpose. And they ask and they wonder and they're curious about how do we use these gifts of the Lord to share his truth, to do justice, to build community, to bring people to faith so that they would uh, fear and worship and honor the Lord. God blessed his people with a harvest. And on that occasion, they recalled the words of the priestly benediction and they turn it into a prayer that God would continue to bless them in the future and extend his mission. Alan Ross says, believers today who enjoy God's blessing on their lives we do the same thing. We pray with humility. We ask curiously, Lord, how would you use this blessing? Uh, we're faithful stewards of what God has given us, and we even return to him generously to use for the sake of mission. 
out of the abundance of the material and spiritual blessings they receive, God's people respond with praise, generosity, and mission. They realize they were blessed for a reason, blessed to be a blessing. And they, they have this great balance of delighting in the Lord, resting in the delight God has in them, receiving his grace and mercy, and then engaging in that mission for the sake of others and the glory of God. And actually, as they engage that, that will help them grow and mature. It's part of the process of God making us like Jesus. We're delighted when we come to receive the grace and mercy and favor and blessing of God. We're grateful to be filled up and formed and shaped to go out in mission together. Uh, Dr. Tim Keller, I'm going to go fast. I see our kids in the back. Um, he says that we are not utopians, but as a sign of the future kingdom, as a sign for what we know God's will is for this world and what God's accomplishment will be one day for this world, we engage in mission. We pray uh, for fruitfulness. We pray for the harvest, knowing that it all points ahead to this day when God will act, when he will do the thing that only he can do. Um, the New Testament tells us that's our great hope, that you have the new heavens and the new earth, the renewal of all things, the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. In other words, a harvest that imagines an ultimate springtime with no more winter again. In the midst of our struggle, this should be an anchor and consolation for the people of God, blessed by him, doing the work he has given them, given us to do, Friends, you have been blessed to be a blessing. And so that's why at the end of each service, it's not an afterthought. You are commissioned and you sign up and you are sent out to share the truth, to do justice, to build community, not on our own or for a sense of duty, but sent together. And the Lord goes with us. And we do it in the midst of praise. And surprisingly, we find that when we engage that mission of God, when we give our lives away, we find life. Renewed by the blessing, light, grace, and mercy of the Lord, let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. You don't get to leave yet, though. I know.